We're going to have a little history lesson tonight in the uh, announcements. Mr. McLean was saying after this meeting, there's a youth meeting at 8.40, but don't worry, I'll not be keeping you to 8.45. We're going to do a very short history lesson. And it's a history lesson in relation to the experience of the man named Nicodemus. He's mentioned three times in the Gospel of John and each time he's mentioned there's a connection with the words that he came to Jesus by night. You have it in chapter 7 and you also have it in chapter 19. And it's significant also that those three occasions that Nicodemus is mentioned, they were occasions of feasts. We have read tonight about the feast of the Passover. And that's the background of John chapter 3. In John chapter 7, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. We mentioned that this morning in uh, the, 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 the meeting, are that Peter wanted to build three tabernacles. And they still have that feast. They have the Feast of the Passover, certainly. They have the Feast of Tabernacles, and that is a, a recollection, a remembrance of the wilderness journeyings where the people dwelt in tents or tabernacles. And of course, you'll know the most important tent in the middle of them all was the tabernacle of the congregation where the worship God, where the sacrifices were made, where God came down in the Shekinah glory. And so, they still have it today. There's people uh, put little tents up in their verandas and they spend time. There's people put tents up in their roofs. Still today in Israel, they observe the Feast of Tabernacles. We were there about three weeks ago. That was when the Feast of Tabernacles was, when we were there. And in fact, the very day of the Hamas atrocity was the last day of that feast. When you come to chapter 19, we're back again to another feast. And that's the feast of the Passover. And that was the time, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great fulfillment of the Passover, that's the time when he was done to death. So Nicodemus is in there on those three occasions and we're going to look at his 
spiritual journey. We look at him initially in the darkness. And then we'll see him presently in the twilight. And I mean by that, the twilight of his experience. He can't be half a Christian. So we're talking about this man's experience. In the darkness, in the twilight, and then when he see him at the end, he's in the full light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at this man and his spiritual journey. Let's look at him first in the darkness. If you look at chapter 3 and in verse 1, we read that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I notice with regard to this approach by Nicodemus to the Lord Jesus Christ, it was in the darkness. The same came to Jesus by night. Now, there's two reasons, maybe more reasons, why he came under cover of darkness. I've said to you that this occasion in John chapter 3 has the, the Passover as its background. The time would be, as our time is late March, early April. And it was a fresh time of the year. Not too warm, maybe not too cold, but it could get a bit windy and blowy. And you see reference in this chapter to the wind, to the wind. It's not just taken out of the blue Christ. When Nicodemus came to wherever the Lord Jesus Christ was, it could have been the upper room that we have mentioned. It could have been there. But wherever he was, it was a dark night. It was a windy night. It was a real blowy night. So this man came under cover of darkness. Now one of the reasons might be for convenience sake. It was the Passover time. There was a great deal of things going on in and around Jerusalem. It is said that in and around Jerusalem there could have been a million and a half to two million people. Now, it's not hard to imagine Jerusalem having that amount of people, but back then it certainly wasn't a big city, to say the least. But people came from everywhere. North, south, east and west, they converged. They went up, talked about going up to the house of God, going up to Jerusalem. There to celebrate the Passover. 
There would have been people probably from different parts of the world. And even today, when the Jews celebrate and remember the Passover, they close it with these words, next year, next year, Jerusalem. It's the aspiration of the Jews to be there for the Passover. It always has been, and it always will be. And this is the background. Now, it might be that Nicodemus thought, there's no way that I could get speaking to him during the day, for he would have been preaching in the temple area. The crowds would hanging on every word. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for a, a better opportunity, a quieter time. And so he comes in the night. But it also could be because of his cowardice. He was afraid to be seen with this man from Galilee. He hadn't the moral courage to be seen with the Lord Jesus Christ. The religious leaders of the day were opposed to Christ. I would have done him to death and we'd see that in another chapter. Nicodemus couldn't be seen with these folks. He couldn't be seen to be conferencing with these Galileans and, uh, and this, as many regarded him a rabble browser. Maybe that's your position tonight. Maybe you know in your heart you need to be saved. You must be born again. You know that. But you haven't had the courage and the grace that God gives to come out and identify yourself with the man of Galilee, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he comes under cover of darkness. But then notice not just the darkness, and his approach, you notice the directness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For when Nicodemus comes to the Lord, he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. How did the Lord Jesus Christ respond to that? Look at the verse, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks very plainly and directly to this man. Here is a man who perhaps is trusting in his upbringing and his religion. He was a very well-known individual, very highly respected personage in Jerusalem. 
He was a Pharisee, not the typical hypocritical one, but a genuine religionist. He was a ruler of the Jews. May well be that in his heart he thought, well, this must count for something. And I'm not a publican. I'm not an out-and-out sinner like other people. He may well have thought his morality and his religiosity would count for something. But the Lord Jesus Christ very quickly dispels that notion if the notion was there. You must be born again. You must have this life-changing personal experience that brings you into a right relationship with God through Christ. That's what he was told. That's what he was told. You must be born again. Maybe you're depending on your religious activity. Maybe you're depending on your church going. Maybe you think, well, I'm not as bad as other people. I I don't frequent uh, certain places that other people go to and and live and wallow in their sin. I'm upright. I, 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 I pay 20 shillings in the pound. You wouldn't notice, or you wouldn't know that language, 20 shillings. There's no shillings about now. But it shows you that I'm still a teenager when I can remember it. You might be depending on those things. to be saved you need to be regenerated to use the term you must be born again it's not an option I remember when I got saved I went to all my friends up the Shackle Road Belfast and I told them all I'd got saved I told them all I'd become a Christian some of them wished me well and others said You'll be back in a fortnight. It's a long fortnight from 1967 till today. I've made many a blunder, many a mistake. God knows. But he's been there for me. The Lord has been there for me. But I can remember one of the men saying, it's not my steel, not my scene. It might be all right for you, but it's not my scene. As if becoming a Christian, as if being saved was an option, an optional extra. You can have it if you want. If you don't want it, that's okay. That's not the way the Lord Jesus Christ speaks here to Nicodemus. He tells him, you must. That's the operative word. You must be born again. It's a vital, absolute necessity. And then notice not only how direct the Lord speaks, but notice his doctrine. For Nicodemus, he's an old fella. I don't know if he was on the pension or not, if there were pensions in those days. But he asks the question, how can a man be born? When he is old. 
Can they enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Is that what you're talking about? And the Lord very clearly and plainly and simply tells him, I'm talking about something physical. I'm talking about something that is spiritual. The Lord Jesus Christ says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And then he says these words. I remember going home from work in Belfast, and I went across what they call the Albert Bridge many, many a night. And there used to be a, a big congregational church at the, ends, at the edge of Short Strand, and I had a big neon sign. And hundreds of thousands of people would have seen that as they passed day and daily. And the words were these, you must be born again. You must be born again. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And folks, this being born again it's not just Bible thumpers, so-called, that tell you that. It's not just free Presbyterians or extreme evangelicals that tell you that. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Marvel not. Don't be surprised. Don't take it ill. It's me that's speaking to you. And I'm telling you, you must be born again. Maybe that's how the Lord's speaking to you tonight. You can't see the Lord visibly. You can't hear the Lord audibly. Nonetheless, he's speaking to you tonight through his word. You must be born again. That's Nicodemus in the darkness if you turn with me to chapter 7, will not be very long going through these, but I just want to point out some matters. Chapter 7, we see Nicodemus in the twilight. We see him in the twilight. And in chapter 7 and verse 43, we're told, so there was a division among the people because of him. And that's what happens, folks, when, when men come to Christ. They're made new. They're identified with Christ. They're identified with his people. And there's a division. Sometimes that happens within the home. Maybe someone in the home gets saved, comes to the Lord, and there's a division in a sense, even within the home. So there was a division among the people because of him. Some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they sent their officers to lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And some of them would have done that. But because of the impact that the Lord Jesus Christ was having, there was nobody would dare touch him. Look at the next verse. In chapter 7, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said, the chief priests and Pharisees said unto their officers, Why have ye not brought him? They were expecting these men to come back with Christ, with the Lord Jesus as their captive. Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, listen to these words. Listen to these words. These are the words of the enemies of Christ. The officers said, never. Man, speak like this man. Didn't we tell you at the outset that the Gospel of John deals with the teachings, the words, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it significant that these people say in John chapter 7, never man speak like this man. They went with evil intentions. They went determined to get him. But when they heard his preaching, they were totally disarmed. They couldn't bring him. There's nobody that we have ever heard speaks like him. Maybe you've come into the meeting tonight. You've absolutely no intentions of being saved. But as you hear the gospel, oh, may the word the Lord Jesus Christ totally disarm you. And so these officers come and these religious leaders, boy, they were fit to be tied because then answered, we read then, answered them, the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? This is what they were saying to the Roman. Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? And isn't it significant they mention that? Because there's one sitting with them in their midst. Who's being wrought upon by the Lord. And who's being deeply exercised about spiritual matters. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Now listen to this. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night. See the connection with chapter 3. He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Then answered, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? 
Boy, these Orthodox boys, they did not like the Galileans. They were too Gentile-like for their liking. And they say to one of their own man, they say to Nicodemus, heart thy also of Galilee, search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Now, I can't understand them saying that because Jonah came from Galilee. And Elijah was from the Galilee region. But in their rage, in their opposition, they didn't acknowledge the truth. Art thou also of Galilee? For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man, notice what it says, verse 53, every man went unto his own house. Here is an attempt by Nicodemus to stand up for what was right. He was in a company that were really opposed to Christ. And here he attempts to speak out. But he hasn't just got the grace or the moral courage at that juncture. He's in the twilight, so to speak. And he goes away home. And that's the end of it at that stage. So we have him in the darkness in chapter 3. We have him in the twilight at the Feast of the Tabernacles in chapter 7. And then if you look to chapter 19 of John's Gospel, here we have him in the full light of the Gospel of Christ. Notice at the end of chapter 19, chapter 19 deals with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what it says in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, and I notice what it says, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Isn't that what we're talking about with regard to Nicodemus? And here's another man who was exactly the same. He was a disciple of Christ, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And that's what Nicodemus was. He was a man who was afraid of his fellow religionists. But notice what happens here. In the darkest hour ever of human history, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, when he was done to death, and men and women, that was the most horrible and the greatest crime ever perpetrated in Israel. We have seen crimes. We've heard of wicked things done and 
it has been done to the people of Israel all down through their generations. And even in recent days, you know what I'm talking about. But the greatest crime ever perpetrated in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, was the doing of the Son of God to death. The officers said, never man speak like this man. We can also say of the Lord Jesus Christ that never man suffered like this man. Maybe with your familiarity of reading the gospel narratives, the impact of Christ's suffering doesn't dawn upon you. But he was beaten beyond recognition in the palace of the high priest where the religious men resided. His visage, the Bible tells us, was so marred more than any man's. If you had looked on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would have shuddered. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was physically abused, thrown into prison. The Bible tells us that in Isaiah 53, he spent the night in prison in the palace of the high priest. They bring him in the morning. Imagine what the circumstances were. He had come through those terrible hours in Gethsemane. The Bible tells us that he swept, as it were, great drops of blood. Such was the pressure such was the, 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 the forces of hell arrayed against him to turn him away from Calvary and to kill him in the garden because that's what was happening. Think of him taken from the garden, utterly exhausted from those hours, at least three hours of intense incomparable pressure put upon him by the wickedness of Satan and his minions. They bring him to the palace of the high priest where he's tortured for hours into the early hours of the morning. They beat him beyond recognition. They pull the hairs from off his face and they throw him into imprisonment until early next morning. And in the early part of the morning, probably around six or seven o'clock, that's when the Jewish day starts, six o'clock, they bring him to the Roman, gover Roman governor, Pilate. They want Pilate to do him to death. 
Pilate sees a way out. For mention is made of Galilee. Oh, Herod's the boy that looks after there. And so they send him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem for the feast. Not that he was religious, but he was there just to curry favor with the Jews. And Herod and his men were glad to see him. And the Bible says they set him at naught. They made little of him. They punished him to a degree. But Herod could find nothing worthy of death in this man of Galilee. They send him back to Pilate. He's examined. Pilate says, I find no fault with this man. I find no fault at all. I'll release him and let him go. And they start shouting in the crowd because there was a great crowd there. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they preferred the man who took life, Barabbas, to the one he's beaten by the Roman soldiers, a leather whip with pieces of metal on each of the tails, and whip the Lord Jesus, crap whip away, tears into his flesh, and his back becomes like a furrowed field. They make a crown of thorns. Those Judean thorns that were about an inch in length and they push it down onto his head and they bring him out to the veranda. Pilate says, Behold your king. He's standing there with a purple robe, a crown of thorns, a bloodied face, a bloodied body, almost exhausted from what he's come through the previous night. Behold your king. We have no king but Caesar. Our hypocritical the world. They didn't like Caesar. They hated him. And they call for Christ to be crucified. And those rough, unfeeling Roman soldiers take the Lord and nail him to a tree. And folks, is it not something amazing that two men Two men who were afraid to come right out and identify themselves with Christ. Is it not amazing? And at that very time, they nail their colors to the mast. Look at what it says. I'll go over this fairly quickly with you. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Christ, 
but secretly for fear of the Jews, he besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Notice what it says in the next verse, verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus. Look at these words. Look at these words. He first came to Jesus by night. See the connection? this man's history, you have those words of chapter 3, you have those words of chapter 7, now you have the words at the darkest hour of all in Jerusalem. And is it not an astounding fact that these two men came out and identified identified with Christ there's a public identification and maybe that's what you're afraid of you're afraid of people knowing that you're saved you're afraid of people knowing that, that, that you're born again you're afraid of people knowing that you're a Christian well these men in the darkest hour of all came right out and publicly identified themselves with the man on the tree who was crucified. And furthermore, there's not only public identification, there is personal affection. For these two men took the body of Christ. They had brought ointments, To, to put in the body of Christ. They took him to a grave just in a garden that was nearby where the Lord was crucified. And there they led him in the tomb. And there they had the door shut showing their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Are you afraid to let people know that you love the Lord? Oh, could I encourage you tonight to take a leaf out of the book of Nicodemus and come to Christ. Leave all the consequences with him. Come and publicly identify yourself with him who gave himself for you. Marvel not, Christ said, and I say unto you, you must be born again. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank thee for thy word this evening. We do pray that you will write it indelibly upon all our hearts tonight. Give deciding grace to those 
in our midst who have not yet come out for Christ. Oh, do that 